0: Welcome to the Success Leaves Clues podcast with Robin Bailey and Al McDonald. Have you ever wondered what makes someone successful? What are they doing that's different? How do they achieve greatness? We believe that success leaves clues. In this series, we are interviewing very successful people from different walks of life to hear their stories. We'd like to remind our listeners that the views expressed in this podcast are those of our guests and not necessarily those shared
1: by our hosts. Welcome back to the Success Leaves Clues Podcast. Today's episode is sponsored by Life & Legacy Advisory Group. We believe sound financial advice improves people's lives. We're also brought to you by Aria Benefits. We help business leaders attract and retain top talent. I'm your host, Robin Bailey, here with my co-host and business partner, Al McDonald. Al, it's Podcast Friday. You know, it's uh, one of my favorite days of the week. What about you? Absolutely. Looking forward to our guests and looking forward always to a a fun-filled day. Well, joining us today from his standing desk, and we can talk more about that, is Jesse Abrams, co-founder and CEO at HomeWise. Welcome to the podcast, Jesse.
0: Thanks so much for having me, guys. Looking forward to chatting.
1: Well, I don't know if you want to share your hack for the standing desk, but maybe we'll get to that later in the podcast because I think I'm going to steal that idea. But I wanted to start right at the beginning for the audience. What or who is HomeWise?
0: Yeah, so HomeWise is an online home ownership business. We started with a mortgage platform where people could apply online in minutes. Then we match them with their best mortgage options from thousands of lender options and then guide them the rest of the way with our team of advisors and ton of automation. The overall goal of that is that the mortgage process, it really sucks. It's really confusing. And for some reason, we were never taught about it in high school or university. So it was one of those things where we want to help people save a lot of money and make the process really simple. We started with mortgage. We've now expanded to real estate. We have partners in life insurance, property insurance, and real estate law. And our overall goal is Jane Smith comes to Homewise. We get her her mortgage. We get her her real estate, her insurance, and her law all in one place, saving her a lot of time, helping her find her perfect home, and saving her a lot of money at the same time.
1: That's really cool. I mean, you're so right. I mean, we never learned about anything about mortgages growing up and taught in school, and yet you're kind of forced to learn maybe the hard way unless you've got that circle around you that can that can educate you. So that's uh, that's really cool. So, you know, as you're telling that story and I'm listening, I'm thinking, I'm so grateful for the podcast because I get to meet really cool people. You and I had a great conversation the first time we spoke and I thought, hey, this is making a pretty cool podcast. But I'm always interested to hear the backstory about how did you end up here, right? So can you share with us your career journey from the time you kind of graduated to where you are now?
2: Yeah, I,
0: I remember the first time when I was eight years old, my parents bought me that first interest rate stuffed animal, and I fell in love with mortgages from a young age. Obviously, <laughs> obviously joking, right? Mortgages are a boring topic, nothing we ever we know about. And I'll be honest, when I, I, I did a commerce degree at McGill now, I graduated 13, 14 years ago, I never even knew what a mortgage was, let alone thought I'd be going into that. My background was all in digital marketing and digital advertising. I worked in the agency world, then I headed up digital at General Mills for four years. Then I ran my own agency that was a data-based agency. So we used data to drive insights, creative, and ideas. And one of our first clients was one of Canada's largest banks, specifically on their mortgage business. So you can imagine working with them on their mortgage business, focused on first-time home buyers. As someone myself who was about to be a first-time home buyer, I got a really good look under the hood. The opportunity, the size of market, but also how far behind we were in Canada. Our banks really weren't online. There wasn't easy processes. So I just saw there was a big opportunity there. And then when I actually bought my first home, I went online, as every millennial does for their financial needs off the bat for research. And I found no options. I found these rate aggregation websites that confused the absolute heck out of me. I was called by all these lenders who said, oh, you don't actually qualify for what you put in. You qualify for this. And I said, what does high ratio mean? What does conventional mean? So it was really confusing. Then I got put in touch with my, a mortgage broker through a person, through a person, through a person. It's it's like that line from Spaceballs. It was my cousin's friends, former college roommate. right? That's how I find a lot of people find their, their mortgage broker. I had an hour and a half phone call, then got sent a four page Word document to print, fill out, scan and send back. Had to go meet her in person, then I had to drive out to the lender to meet them in person. And I was like, holy moly, there's gotta be a better way. And that's where the first idea for HomeWise came is how do we really simplify this experience? Put the home buyer or the homeowner back in control and make it something fun. You brought up earlier that people buy a home and they don't know going into the process that mortgages can be confusing. I always like that Mike Tyson quote that everyone has a plan until you're punched in the face. And I find with so many home buyers and so many homeowners that mortgage could often be
2: that punch. It's interesting that you mentioned that you're going to school and a lot of the things that you're going to encounter in life, such as buying a mortgage or in my world, purchasing insurance or investing, whatever, that it isn't taught in school and it's, it's kind of a shame. So uh, good for you for you know taking that up and going through the process yourself and helping people out. Can you talk a little bit about how you come up with your own new ideas? Well, and and you talked a little bit about this idea, but how do you generate new ideas or goals for your business and your life? Well, we're on it
0: right now. One of the ways is podcasts, audiobooks, reading articles. Twitter is an amazing wealth of information on there. A ton of leading indicators in terms of where the market's going. Networking, there's so many smart people who have way better ideas than I do. So for us, a lot of our ideas come from just what's already out there and trying to take that and aggregate it and simplify into what we think makes the most sense. One of the nice things as well being a Canadian tech company is while Canada is no longer the redheaded little cousin that we've always been to the US when it comes to technology, we have huge companies here like Shopify and well Simple who are leading the way when it comes to technology. The US is often five and 10 years ahead of us. Sometimes the UK is. So some of the best ideas we have are I wouldn't call them stolen, but they're influenced by some of the ideas we've seen in other countries that have worked really well. And we could see them work really well in Canada. And I think the name of the game is just always having that thirst for knowledge. My favorite book of all time from a business perspective is How to Win Friends and Influence People. That was written in the 40s. So some of the best ideas are not just something we've learned yesterday. They're ideas that have been around for a very long time strategically, but the
2: execution has just changed. You brought up a couple of technology names just there. This is not a field without some competition. So how are you dealing with that? When we look at the competition, there's obviously the big banks and there's the classic mortgage brokers, and they have their place. And
0: we looked at the market and we said, there's a real market opportunity to create a really simple online process where clients don't just have that one choice they might have with a bank, or might have to have that more of a human experience that they have with a human broker and they can have choice. But what we also realize is that there are digital mortgage experiences out there, but they're only focused on one thing, which is the mortgage. But when people come to us, they oftentimes note in their application that they're not working with a realtor. They definitely don't have insurance because no one even knows you need property insurance or should consider life insurance and buying a home, let alone knowing that there's closing costs in a real estate lawyer. So we really realized the opportunity was and how to differentiate was to focus on that end-to-end process that's available to simplify the experience that much more for the customer and for us to create that lifetime value. Because we don't want someone coming to us and say, oh, I got a low rate at home That was what it was. We said, oh, I've got my home ownership experience with them. We want to be there every four and a half, five years when it's time to renew and refinance, time to buy their next home and help them understand how to utilize the asset they've created, which is a home, and how to build upon it for their future and to make wealth off property, which is how a lot of people have made wealth over the last 30 to 50 years in this country.
1: I heard you mentioned Wealth Simple, and they've been on the podcast. We had a great time speaking with Paul Tashima. So Paul, if you're listening, and I I hope you are, I give you a shout out because we had such a great conversation. I love speaking with entrepreneurs, and I'm not going to give away my age, but let's just say reading these articles and the, the age ranges, men should do this. And I'm like, Damn it, I'm too old for that one. Looking back at my career, there's things I wish I had known a lot sooner. Is there anything you kind of look back on now? Like, hey, as I'm starting out, I wish I had known this.
0: There's so much. One of the biggest warnings is the best way to put it. I got before starting the business is people is the number one thing when it comes to starting a business. You could have a great idea. You could have all these amazing things. But it comes down to people at the end of the day. And that's one of the things that we've really realized now four years into our business that investing in our team, finding people that really fit culturally into our business, that understand the vision, that are bought in, that don't have to always be told what to do. They sometimes tell us what to do. That's so incredibly important. One of the things about starting a company is listening to what other people say, but also sticking to your gut. I find oftentimes when you start a business, you tell someone the idea and they're like, yeah, yeah, I don't think so. And you get nervous or you get negativity growing in your mind. So that's something that it's just really important to try to overcome that. And I think the third part is a lot of startup founders, a lot of people who start businesses we're going through the same things. We have imposter syndrome. We have bad days. We have great days. We have great situations that the only thing going through our head is how is this going to be bad? So create a network of other people who are going through the same thing as you share ideas, share the horror stories. Be open and honest because the more honest you are, the more you're going to get out of it. And those are a couple of things that have been really helpful for us and creating that network of people. I'm a big fan of the high tide rises all ships mentality. That's something we've really seen. So I would say to anyone who's looking to start a business, start networking from day one. And don't be afraid to share your idea with people. Because if they steal it from you and do it better than you, that's your fault. That's not their fault for stealing it from you. Some of the best ideas we've gotten, you you actually asked this question earlier, where do we get our ideas? Some of the best ideas we have from talking it out with other people who don't live what we're doing every single day and hearing how they sort of taken it in their brain. And it's just a matter of always trying to grow.
1: There is so much gold in that answer. I don't even know where to begin. And I think we could probably <laughs> talk the next 45 minutes of all of the things that you listed. But I heard a couple of things. And one was listening to your gut and trusting in your gut and, and I mean, run it by other people, of course. But I'm reminded of a, one of the podcasts I listened to is uh, Michelle Romano. She's done a few with Audible. And one of the things that she had said was make reversible decisions quickly. Right. And it's okay to, and, and Al would put it a different way, it being a two-way door instead. Is this a one-way door or a two-way door? And if it's a two-way door, then we can always go back. Right. So trusting your gut and making those decisions, because we all face that imposter syndrome. I know there are people in my network that think, wow, this guy's innovative. He's done this and he's done. And half the time I'm questioning myself to your point, Jesse, right? So, and then you also talked about the importance of people. And we'll expand on that a little bit. I found that to be the most challenging in a number of ways. Number one, finding the right people and getting them in the right seats for the company. And then the the other tough part I found was letting go and just trusting people to do the job. Because as one of the leaders of the organization, I always felt that I had to do everything. And the moment I let go of the vine, people will recognize what book that's from. But as soon as you let go of the vine and you put trust in people to do the job and give them the room to make mistakes because people are going to make mistakes and them knowing it's okay has been just a game changer for the business. So there was so much there. I just wanted to unpack you know, a couple of ideas, but I really enjoyed uh, hearing your answer.
2: Awesome. Jesse, can you talk about any obstacles that you faced during your career and maybe how you overcame them? There's a ton, right? It's
0: funny. When we first started the business, I had someone else who I thought was going to be my co-founder on the business. And we sort of had that. We've known each other for a while. We had corresponding skill sets, but it just, it didn't work. We were probably better off not working together than working with each other. And that was a major obstacle because it was before we even launched the business, I had already quit my job. I was going into it and he wasn't ready to do that. And there was just a nagging in the back of my head. And, and this wasn't my idea to say, this isn't going to work. I spoke to people, I got advice and that's where eventually we decided this wasn't going to work. I got exceptionally lucky that along the way, my co-founder Carlos came out of the woodwork and... He's got about 17 years of experience on top of mind. He has every degree you could imagine. This guy's got a CA, MBA, law degree, engineering degree, and a PhD. He's got a ton of experience at major companies. He's taken companies public. And if I didn't overcome and find that problem, diagnose the issue, and try to find a solution of moving on from a co-founder, which is not something easy to do, we wouldn't be where we are. And so much of our business is on Carlos's back. So... That's a really big one. And, and I think another one is, is non-business related. It's more life related. It was either right when I quit my job or right before I got engaged. And so I got married. I got married on a Sunday night. And on Monday afternoon, I was pitching VCs to raise money. Now, I'm not someone who says, hey, work every hour possible. That's the exact opposite of what I'm trying to get at here is trying to find a work-life balance is really important. I've now had two kids since we started the business I love taking my daughter to gymnastics on the weekend. I love taking my son out in his car. So I think trying to find that balance and a point made earlier, trust your team members that if you're not working 14 hours a day, it's not all going to fall apart. Some days you're going to. Saturday is my day of work. Oftentimes my wife goes to her parents' house and I'll work all day Saturday. And that happens. But finding your balance is really important and realizing that your business is going to survive best if you're energized to work on it every day and that you don't only focus on it is really important. And now everyone's different. Some people will dedicate seven days a week, close themselves in a room and that's it. But for me, it was finding what works the most to allow myself to have that work-life balance. And I'm an incredibly massive Toronto Maple Leafs fan, unfortunately. So I also don't like to miss Leaf games. So fitting that in was also a high priority for me.
2: <laughs> okay. Well, I I've got to fit this in here because I'm a Bruin fan. I'm meeting on Saturday night, night, my friend.
0: (laughs) I love the bad memories of your team in the playoffs, my friend. Yes,
2: yes, many Leaf fans do, or at least recently anyway, in the the last few years. I did want to mention, though, you talked about your kids and spending some time with them. My kids are a little bit older now. Enjoy that time. Anyone will tell you that time goes by much too quickly, so
1: enjoy it while you have it.
0: Oh, for sure,
2: the puke on my shirt makes me enjoy it that much. <laughs> <laughs> it's all <laughs>
1: yeah, worth it. It's all worth we, it. We share a similar story, Jesse. We got married years ago in in May, and uh, we launched the company in July. So I feel your pain. It, nothing like a little uh, additional pressure from a partner, or spouse, to make you do everything necessary to make that company work. I wanted to ask you, what's the biggest obstacle you've either faced in your career or personally, and how did you overcome it? If you're if you're comfortable sharing that.
0: I think obstacle-wise for me, it's I'm someone who's not a carpe DM person. I don't live in the day. I'm always someone thinking five years in the future, 10 years in the future. And I remember when I was working at General Mills, I loved my job there. My boss was awesome. My team was incredible. It was a fun place to work, and I enjoyed what I was doing every day. I was basically a digital evangelist. My job was to make people invest more in digital and work with the marketing team. The agency was great. But I remember one day thinking, I think at that time, I was probably 26 years old, so about 10 years ago now. And I remember looking in the mirror being like, am I going to be a CMO in 15 years? Is that what I'm determined to do with my career? Where's my career taking me? What am I building towards? And I sort of had that moment of like, what am I going to be? Where do I want to go? And I, I think that was an obstacle I created for myself of don't let myself just be on this stagnant trail of, hey, this is Jesse, he works in marketing and advertising, and this is his skill set, and this is what he's going to do. And and I tried to challenge myself. The the amount of tech companies I thought of and tried to create before HomeWise was incredible. Like I had a company called Red Light Green Light that we tried to do, which was basically Tinder. I had a business that we tried to start that was an online recruiting company for students at a university. There's so many things we tried, and they didn't work for all the same reasons. We didn't spend time we didn't have the right team and we weren't motivated to do it. So an obstacle I faced was where I saw myself being in the future and finding as many ways that I hope Homewise is a massive success and we all do great from it. But even if not, the amount that I've learned since starting this business, the amount of opportunities I believe I've created for myself both personally and professionally from this is pretty incredible. So that was a big obstacle that I think it's not the, the normal one you might hear all the time, but it was something I looked at and said, what's my career progression going to be? And, and how can I take a hold of that and make it something I actually want it to be?
1: I think you said something that's really important for future leaders to hear and that you didn't necessarily fail or you had some of those what we'd call failures, but you learned and you, you were very clear about that. You learned every time you built your network, you learned something that would help you in, in your future endeavors. So I appreciate you sharing that. Well, it's time in the podcast, my favorite part of the podcast, for Al's signature question. And we love asking these questions because we always get a different answer. And there's no right or wrong answer. It's really what's important to you. So, with that, Al, take it away. Thanks, Robin. So,
2: the question is there's a saying that a society grows great when old persons plant trees in whose shade they will never sit. So, can you talk about any of those proverbial trees that you might be planting?
0: For sure. And I'm gonna give full credit to my mom on this one. My mom's an entrepreneur on her own, but she's also always been exceptionally charitable. She's someone who would go to work every day, first thing in the morning, get home at 6:30, take care of her kids, but was always doing some sort of charitable work. I did five Ride to Conquer Cancers with her. We would always do the Terry Fox run every single year. She was working on charitable work with her friends. She was always part of her DNA. And, and my dad, too. I'm not selling him short. He was that was a big part of his life. But my mom, it was really important to her and she sort of bestowed that upon me. And I saw it as really important as well for my life because I I think we're very lucky and there's a lot of things that we could do to help others. So over the last 10 years, I've actually started two charitable fundraisers. Uh, One was in memory of one of my good friend's brothers. I started the charity with him and another one of our close friends. We raised about a million dollars in the first five years of that charity. It was a, a charity hockey tournament. I grew up with him. He was always in the stands watching us play hockey. So when he passed away. We thought that was a great way to commemorate him. And after the five years of that tournament, we then said, okay, we want to do something else. So we took the idea from that and we turned it into a charitable volleyball tournament and we raised about $800,000 in that. And we were trying to get to a million dollars, but then COVID hit and not too many people want to play volleyball together. So we're now looking for the next idea and we have a lot of ideas for what it is. And to me, it's not about getting credit for it. It's about doing whatever I feel like I have the power to and embracing as many people around us to help. We've had huge committees who have then shot off into other charitable organizations and doing other charitable things. So that's something that's just really important to me. And I want to continue to do that. I want to go from the sports thing to something that's actually more impactful rather than just raising money. But doing something day to day and my one of my best friends, he actually lives across the street from me. We were always throwing out ideas all the time. So that's really important to me. I've I've been on the board at a couple of different foundations, RENA Foundation, which is for people who have developed the disabilities. I was on their board for about five years. I'm on a marketing board at Mount Sinai Hospital. So it's, you know, we're all busy, but that's something that's really important to me in my life is trying to find as many ways I could give back and get as many people on board where possible.
2: Well, it's it's great to hear that. Obviously, your parents both did a great job in instilling some of those values in yourself. Thanks for sharing. And obviously, thanks for doing everything that you've done.
1: Yeah, shout out to your mom for sure. Hopefully, she listens to this. And I think she's going to be very proud. Well, thank you for joining us today. And thanks for sharing your story, Jesse. What's the best way for people to reach out to you if they have questions about yourself or what you're doing at HomeWise?
0: Yeah, thanks for having me. Any questions for me, definitely add me on LinkedIn, Jesse Abrams. Reach out through email jesse at thinkhomewise.com. I try to respond as quickly as possible. There's a lot of spam LinkedIn messages these days. So follow up if you don't get me there and visit our site at thinkhomewise.com or Google us at Homewise. Love to help you with anything when it comes to your homeownership needs. And yeah, that's everything I got there.
1: All right, well, that does it for today's episode. I really enjoyed this conversation. I hope you did too. If you have any questions for Al or myself, please feel free to give us a call or rejoining the conversation on LinkedIn. Success leaves clues, my friends.